Ephesians 2, 1 to 10. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast, for we all his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand, that we should walk in them. The word of the Lord. Good morning, everyone. Uh, welcome again uh, to our uh, our virtual gathering uh, at Emmanuel. Our uh, text this morning that we're going to look at is our passage from Ephesians chapter two. So I invite you to uh, turn there uh, either in your bulletin or if you have a Bible and uh, we'll be following along. I'm gonna be uh, jumping a bit back and forth in the passage, but kind of mostly focusing on the beginning and the end. But uh, but we'll, uh, we'll dive into that in just a moment. Um, let me pray as, as we turn to God's word. Our Father, we are grateful that uh, you're a God of mercy, um, that you're a God of love, that you're a God of grace, um, you're a God of justice. Uh, we turn to you. Um, we turn to your word. We ask that your spirit would guide us, that uh, we would grow more uh, more closer to you in this time. Would you open our minds and open our hearts? In the name of your son, amen. So uh, this passage, if you're with us last week, you'll notice it's quite familiar. Jim uh, preached on it uh, last Sunday. And he was focusing mainly on how grace is foundational for our lives. Um, grace is basically what animates all that we do as Christians. Uh, grace is God giving us freely and undeservedly his presence in a way that heals us, uh, restores us, gives us dignity. And, and it deals with death and brings us life through Jesus. And I'm not going to go over all that Jim covered last week on grace. Um, if you weren't with us, uh, you can catch up with that. Uh, the sermon uh, should be up on our website. Um, but we're going to be looking at the same passage with an eye on how God's grace forms who we are, uh, shapes what we do. Uh, and our passage uses the language of walking. So, so we're going to follow that language a little bit as we go through the passage. The grace that has been shown to us in Jesus and that saves us, it changes the way we walk. It changes the way that we live our lives. 
So our, our passage has kind of echoes of wisdom literature. And if you're not familiar what I mean by that, um, wisdom literature is, is just a kind of, uh, uh, kind of writing in the Bible where it lays out things in a very idealized and often kind of binary way that brings clarity and distinction between things. So for example, the book of Proverbs in the Old Testament has a lot of sayings that are, are bits of wisdom being dropped. So for example, Proverbs 10.9 says, whoever walks in integrity walks securely, but he who makes his ways crooked will be found out. Or Proverbs 11.28 says, whoever trusts in his riches will fall, but the righteous will flourish like a green leaf. And so it's in wisdom literature, things are laid out where if, if you do this wise thing, it will go good for you. If you act in an unwise way, it will not go well. And so, so we hear those things and, and generally we agree like, yeah, that sounds good. That's clear, right? That's how things should be. If you walk in integrity, if you don't be crooked, you don't trust in riches, um, you will flourish. But really, does that how everything look? What is it, does that, is that how everything looks like uh, when it comes down to our lives, um, like kind of day to day? Because when you you honestly look around, life doesn't always go like that, right? We see people who are walking in integrity and they're being taken advantage of, and there's people dealing in crooked ways and they're getting away with it. We see people trust in their riches uh, who seem to be doing pretty good and, and, and there's righteous people that are not flourishing. Wisdom is, is given to us uh, to provide us with bearings when life is not so clear, when it's hard to see the path ahead, uh, when there's tough decisions to be made or there's just a lot of uncertainty. Um, in those spaces, wisdom reminds us of where we're headed or who we are. And so in, in kind of a similar way in Ephesians 2, 1 to 10, we're given an image of two different ways of walking through life that are, are very different. We aren't actually given a lot of specifics as to how that looks. And at least, at least it's not yet in Ephesians. Paul, uh, who wrote the letter to Ephesians, he gets into a lot more of the details, the specifics of how this works out for people. Um, who, who live in Ephesus uh, a little later on in the letter. But, um, and, and we'll actually see, even see this um, next week when we get into the latter half of Ephesians 2. But for right now, we're kind of focusing on what bit of what goes on behind the scenes. Um, or another way to think of it is like how our operating system runs. Like what are the routines and the rhythms of our lives that drives what we do? Like how, how are things pieced together? And, at the core of how all these things go together and work together and piece together is the idea that we find in verse 10 that we are God's workmanship. <clears throat> so what we're going to do is look at how understanding ourselves as God's workmanship does two things. First, it distinguishes us from the world. Basically, we walk differently from those around us. And second, it helps us to see God's work of restoration in our lives, which fuels the good works we're called to do. So first, uh, understanding ourselves as God's workmanship distinguishes us from the world. 
So here I'm picking up on this idea of wisdom as, as painting things in a very polarizing manner. There's right, wrong, there's good, there's bad, there's life, there's death, it's that sort of thing. It provides clarity when things get fuzzy. And uh, it feels like uh, I'm saying the same sort of variation on the same three themes throughout this year when I look at the state of the world that we're in right now. Um, it's like if one thing ebbs a bit, there's another thing that sort of reaches up with like a fevered pitch and, and, and we're in, in some fuzzy times. And I'd say there, there's kind of three things that have been dominating our time lately. Um, the first, the most obvious one is just the pandemic, right? And, and it's, it's reaching another level right now. Um, that, that, that's one of the things and all, all the effects of the pandemic, whether it's economic or, or just health or, or family relations or stability, um, that, that is just one of the things that's, that, that dominates us right now. Another thing is uh, just the divisive politics that seems to be everywhere and it seems to pop up in all of these places, we've just come through the election and there's still just so much going on. And the third thing is, is, is racial injustice and just the history of this nation. I'd say these, these three things are, uh, are what forms a lot of our public discourse right now and informs just a lot of our emotional investment. It's messy. Uh, and all these things kind of get intertwined in some way, and we have personal connections to some of these things, or we have opinions about them. It's, it's just all affected us in different ways. And so how do we as, as Christians navigate all of this, right? Do, do we just throw our lot in with one political party? Or do we hunker down and isolate ourselves until we're, we're through this pandemic or this wave of the pandemic? Uh, do we do we just look out for our own or, or do we, we look out and try to reach out to other people? Do we engage in difficult conversations on race or, or do we just try to ignore that? Well, what is it that brings clarity in all this? Um, what is it that fuels uh, a Christian imagination, a Christian way of how we view reality that allows us to live distinct from the world, but but fully engaged with it? And so Ephesians 2 gives us this image of walking in two different ways, which I think helps bring us clarity on how we live and what we do. And kind of in that wisdom um, binary, we have death and life are contrasted. And so first uh, we have a walk, um, a walk of death, basically, in verses 1 to 3. Uh, verses one to see one to three of reads, and you are dead in your the trespasses and sins in which in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all lived once in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. So in this part of the letter. Um, Paul is talking specifically to, to Christians, to, to people who have responded affirmative, affirmatively to Jesus' call to follow him. He's saying that there's one way in which everyone walks through this life, and which you once did too. Um, it's, it's basically like a death march. Um, it's a life in which selfish desires fuel what we do, um, even good things that we do. It's a life not based on receiving things, but about getting things. 
Um, it may be a pursuit of making a name for yourself. It may be about accumulating wealth. It, it may even be about making a difference in the world, um, about eradicating something evil. Again, not necessarily doing things that are so bad that they make us cringe, you know, like like, like murder and extortion or, or things like that. Um, those those though those things are are also included. But there's this walk that leads nowhere in a sense because it simply leads it simply ends in death. And you're pretty much dead um, because nothing you can do will deal with the fact that you will die. And and, and this this state, um, I think, takes on a bit of urgency even in the times that we're in, in being in the middle of a pandemic. So you have this this one walk that 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 is leads to death. But you have the second walk um, at the end of our passage in verse 10 that is basically doing good works that flows out of being God's workmanship. Verse 10 says, for we are God's workmanship, or we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Now you'll notice that something has changed in the six verses between you were dead in your trespasses and we are his workmanship. To explain all of what goes into that would take a whole other sermon, which, uh, which fortunately uh, Jim did for us last week. Um, but I still need to say uh, a couple of words about it. Um, a lot, last week's sermon was about grace. Um, By grace, you've been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. It's the gift of God, not by works that none should boast. Grace tells us um, that, that nothing that we do will deal with death and bring us life. Nothing we do can repair the damage that is done when we turn away from God, who is the source and sustainer of life, and we do whatever we think is good. Grace tells us that even though we might try to do something to fix things and it doesn't do anything, yet there is still hope. God is, in his great love and mercy and kindness, gifts us life. God gifts us himself in Jesus who takes on death on the cross and brings life out of it. When we are dead, God makes us alive in Jesus. And all we can do is, is receive, that, receive that or reject it. We receive Jesus and all he's done for us, or we reject it. Receiving this gift transforms the way we walk. We see this in, in one phrase in verse 8. You have been saved. Some translations say you are being saved. And, and the actual way this is written in, in, in the Greek, uh, the original language, kind of has, has the meaning of both of these things. There's something that's happened in the past that has changed things, and it has ongoing effects even now. You have been saved. Your walk is no longer a walk of death. But it has transformed your walk into something different as you continue to walk in this new way. And so to put it in another way, by grace, you're saved. And by grace, you now walk forward from that point on. Your life is now based continually on receiving grace from God. And this, uh, as it says in verse seven, shows the immeasurable riches of God's kindness towards us. And that's what he wants for us. And so another thing to note about our passage is how Paul um, constantly talks about how we are in Christ or with Christ. 
That's repeated in verses five and six and seven and 10. It's emphasizing that this grace is not just a nice idea, but it's grounded in God himself. God gives us himself. And it's that presence from which life flows that brings life to our walking. Um, it's similar to our earlier in Ephesians chapter one, verse 13, Paul tells us that we are sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. The presence of God is stamped on our souls, saying that we belong to him. And so with all these images of how we are closely held by God, we're getting closer to, to what is meant when Paul calls us God's workmanship. So, so coming finally to, to, to this term workmanship, um, the, the point I'm moving towards is that as God's workmanship, we are made distinct. We are distinguished. We're distinguished from those who have not received the gift of life in Jesus, primarily by having Jesus's presence with us, now pouring out his grace into our lives. People who are walking this, this, this way of death are not marked by this. But, but, but this mark, um, I think of it kind of like uh, a signature, um, kind of almost like a, like a signature sound. Um, and, and when I'm thinking about this, I, I'm thinking about it in, in terms of music. And, uh, and so uh, I, I, I realized as, as I was thinking through all of these things that I actually ended up going to a lot of music references um, in this time. And, and uh, I, I'm not, I know we have a lot of musicians with us. So, so I apologize if my musical references are kind of obscure. Um, but but that, 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 this is where I ended up, so uh, so bear with me. Um, so so thinking about about um, music as kind of like the signature sound. Uh, when I was growing up, um, way back in the 1980s, uh, there was this song that was really popular by Michael Jackson. Uh, it was called "Beat It," and so it was a song that was part of his big crossover to more like rock and pop influenced music. And it had this really distinctive guitar solo. And the guitar solo on that song was by a guy named Eddie Van Halen. Now, Eddie Van Halen, um, he actually just died uh, like a month ago. He's, he's known as one of the top uh, rock guitarists of all time. And he has a very distinct sound. Uh, he made an electric guitar out of all kinds of parts and pieces of other guitars. And he named it Frankenstein. And, and, and so when he played Frankenstein, it just furthered his distinct sound. So you know when you're listening to Eddie Van Halen if you know what Eddie Van Halen sounds like. But there's a story about how he ended up on that track. Um, Eddie had this agreement with all the other members of his band. The band's called Van Halen. Uh, the agreement was nobody is going to do any side gigs. Like we're just all in this together. We're, we're focused on us as a band. But Eddie got a call from Michael Jackson's agent asking him to collaborate on this song, which was a huge deal because Michael Jackson was like as big as it got in the 80s. Uh, and as it turns out, when Eddie got this call, all his bandmates were out of town for the weekend. So he figured uh, he'll record this solo. He'll make it uncredited. He won't, he won't even get paid for it, but he can just take this opportunity of working with, with, with Michael Jackson. So he did that. Um, he didn't tell his bandmates. Uh, he showed up and being a creative musician, um, like he went in 
And he was just like, I'm just going to play this, do boom, I'm done, it's recorded, I'm out. But being this creative musician, he, he ended up changing up parts of the song and he, he recorded his own solo and changed up all the stuff while Michael Jackson was away from the studio. And uh, he was actually really nervous when Michael Jackson showed up because he just completely changed the song. Uh, but but when, when Michael came back and he heard the song, he, he turned to Eddie and, he, and what he said to him, he was, thank you so much for caring so much about this song that you'd invest yourself so much in this way. It's actually so much better now. And, and, and the funny thing about this song and, and really the, the point of this story is uh, that there's no way you can listen to that song if you're familiar with Van Halen and not know that it's Eddie Van Halen playing the guitar on it. Um, even though he had all these motives to have it done secretly and not tell anyone, his signature sound is all over that song, um, just from the guitar he used to the way he played. And, and, and that's, that's what I mean by when I'm saying that God's grace um, marks us. Um, uh, God's grace is all over us. Um, just as the sound of Eddie Van Halen's guitar is unmistakable in the song, God's grace is the mark on our lives. It's God's signature sound. Um, beginning to end, um, we're now different. Uh, God cares so deeply about us. He, he, he's invested in us. Um, and that, that's, that's what the cross is all about. It's Jesus stepping in, um, taking on our humanity, um, dying death that, that we should die so that we can live. Um, he's signed on and he's going to do this great job, um, this great job of, uh, of, of, of working in us. And, and we just have to entrust ourselves to him. Now, now there's one more idea there's, there's one more thing to this, this idea of workmanship. Um, God's workmanship, and, and remember, we are God's workmanship, right? God's workmanship bears this mark of distinction, that is God's gracious activity in our lives. But, but God's workmanship is also being restored. So we as God's workmanship are being restored. And then this point is kind of an expansion on the last point. Um, we who have been saved by grace in Christ Jesus bear God's fingerprints of grace all over us. But we aren't just for display, like some museum art piece that's been restored to its original likeness and needs to be sealed behind glass. Uh, we who have been saved by Christ are saved for a purpose. We're called to do good works that God has prepared for us. And, and what we do flows out of who we are. This is bringing us back to the second way of walking, of walking in life. So thinking of ourselves as God's workmanship carries the idea of redemption and restoration in this passage. The word that's translated as workmanship in verse 10 is a unique word only used in this one place in the Bible. It's not describing the result of creative work as in making something out of nothing, like when God creates the heavens and the earth out of nothing in the book of Genesis. What we're talking about is more of an act of restoration. It's recreation. It, it, the language used um, elsewhere in scripture is that of new creation, but it's not creation out of nothing. It's not that you're vaporized and replaced by a completely new you, with a completely rewired brain that thinks and acts completely differently. 
Um, other translations uh, uh, say use this term um, instead of uh, uh, it, they say handiwork um, instead of workmanship. Um, we in effect are, are being refashioned. Um, the Bible often uses the imagery of refining gold or silver to describe this process. It's like, like when gold is melted down, impurities are removed, and something new is made. And this refining, um, especially in the Old Testament, is usually associated with God's judgment, which is another, another sort of gloss on the word that we have translated as workmanship. Uh, even in the act of restoration and redemption, there, there, there is a judgment of right and wrong. And so in our passage, uh, in Jesus, we see God stepping into his creation and bearing the judgment reserved for us. While we were dead in our trespasses, God made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. That's looking back at verse five and, and, and drawing our attention to Jesus dying on the cross. Jesus is bearing the judgment for our sins and um, we're being raised up in victory over death. Um, we're raised up with Jesus to new life. Right. And, and so God continues to give us grace, pouring out life into us as we, his workmanship, are being shaped in this newness of life. And, and this process is actually awkward and painful and uncomfortable sometimes. But, but that's why grace is poured out for us as, as we step forward. So God is taking what we are and enabling us to do good things, to do good things free from the burden of trying to use those good works to earn salvation and free from the burden of using good works for our own selfish purposes. Instead, we become participants in God's mission to the whole world, which is basically bringing all things into perfect harmony with each other through Jesus, where we're pointing people to Jesus. And our, our good works are actually one of the ways in which we point people towards Jesus. So, so for some reason, again, um, I, my mind went to a musical illustration for this. Um, and, and, uh, and so, so again, bear with me on this. Uh, if you think about a song um, that is a good song, right? Think about a song that's a good song. I, I know we have musicians here, so I'm treading carefully because what can constitute a good song um, can be uh, a matter of intense debate and conversation, I know. But, but think about a good song, right? And sometimes uh, an artist will, will remix that song or get someone else to remix it, right? Or, or another artist will cover that song and they'll try to put their spin on it. Now this process can go very good or it can go very badly. So a band that was very popular when I was growing up. So I, I'm thinking I'm still going back, not for as far back as the 80s. Um, but when I was growing up, there's a band called U2. And I'm thinking about U2 um, in the 1990s. So that's when I was getting into their music as a teenager. And, and at that time as a group, they were going through what was considered their deconstructive phase. And they put out a whole bunch of music that lean towards the experimental side of things. They had some good songs. Um, they had some other songs that were just plain weird. Uh, a few years ago, some friends of mine bought me a collection um, called The Complete U2, which basically had everything that they had ever recorded up to that point in time. There was just hundreds and hundreds of songs. 
and they had all of these remixes of songs that they'd done, um, especially on their 90s albums. Some of them are all right, um, but some of them you could barely recognize the song as the same song. Like, like some of them, it was just like, I, I don't think this works. This is just weird. Like, like, like you messed it up. It was good before, and now, now, now what is this? If we, if we think about restoration, if we think about this workmanship we are as sort of uh, a remix of our lives, I think we get a glimpse of how God shapes our lives through grace. He doesn't start over from nothing, but he takes the original material and reworks it and refines it and rearranges it. Um, he takes out the stuff that doesn't fit, the stuff that, that, that basically leads us to death. Um, and and now, now sometimes though, um, we, we want to just do it ourselves and not let God do it. And just, we get ahead of them or ignore them and, and we make a mess of things and, and we end up sounding like a bad remix, right? Or we're more like just a bad karaoke cover of a song. Um, it's cringeworthy. It, it's a remix that just doesn't work because we're trying to do it ourselves. But, but if we just roll with what God is doing in our lives, um, if we let his grace seep into us so completely um, so that we're just totally secure and can rest in knowing that Jesus saves us when we were totally hopeless and we can trust him to not change and to continue to hold us and strengthen us. He'll guide us into those good works we're made to do. Um, and it will often align with just how God's made you to be um, with the interests you have, the skills you have, um, the work you're already in or thinking about, or even using the experiences that you've had, God will be with you in all of this. And when, when God is the one remixing your life, he makes it even better than you can imagine. It's not necessarily easy, an easy life or, or pain-free or confusing, but he's in it with you. And to hopefully not not stretch my music analogy too far, um, what, what it makes me think of is another song. Um, this song is called Hurt, okay? Um, I've actually never been a fan of the original song. It's another 90s song. It's by uh, a, a 1990s industrial metal band called Nine Inch Nails. So sorry if I'm going full 80s and 90s on you today, but um, there's this band called Nine Inch Nails. Um, and it, they made this song called Hurt, um, and it's about the band's frontman named Trent Reznor, about his wrestle with addiction and despair, right? And so this song um, is just dark. The band is a really, uh, like, has a dark tone to, to it. But this song was actually covered years later by a man named Johnny Cash, um, who uh, is known as, he's just a really popular country music singer for people who aren't familiar with Johnny Cash. Um, Johnny Cash, um, country music singer, um, is about as different from a 1990s industrial metal band as I can think. They're just just two different worlds. Um, and, and those two, two, two things don't really go, go together in my head. But what Johnny Cash did um, is he took that song set it to his, his country style, um, his distinctive Johnny Cash style. But he changed one line in the entire song and it shifted the tone of the song ever so slightly. 
and and uh, and that 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 line was actually a reference um, to 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 the crucifixion to Jesus, um, and so it shifts the way the song goes. And so when when Trent Reznor, who it was his song, when he heard this new version of the song, his reaction was. Um, this is one of the most personal songs I've ever written, but it's no longer mine. Like it's been transformed into something, to something else. Like it's my song, but it's not. Um, there's continuity and there's discontinuity. Um, and there's like, there's, there's hope in it where there wasn't hope before. Um, and so it's still this personal song about wrestling with addiction but there's hopefulness in there. And, and so what I'm getting at is, is that when God gets to work in our lives, he doesn't obliterate our humanity. He doesn't remove all distinguishing features of what makes you, you. He doesn't remove all our skills and interests and replace them with some detached otherworldly temperament that has nothing to do with our present circumstances. Um, just like Johnny Cash's version of the song Hurt is still that song yet it's been transformed into something that even the original artist realizes is something more. That's what grace does to us, grace in Jesus. So, so when we're called to do good works, it's out of that anchor point of grace given to us in Jesus while we were still sinners and through grace as we're being transformed by Jesus. And so good works flow out of a transformed person. That's the new walk. So another way that I think of, 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 of trying to, to, to make sense of this, um, there's an author named uh, C.S. Lewis. I think many of us are familiar with C.S. Lewis. Uh, he wrote a book called Mere Christianity. And uh, near the end of that book, he was trying to explain this idea of redemption and restoration. And here's what he says. He says, uh, for mere improvement is not redemption. So mere improvement is not redemption, though redemption always improves people even here and now and will in the end improve them to, agree, to a degree we cannot yet imagine. God became man to turn creatures into sons, not simply to, to, pr to produce better men of the old kind, but to produce a new kind of man. It is not like teaching a horse to jump better and better, but like turning a horse into a winged creature. Of course, once it's got wings, it will soar over fences which could have never been jumped and thus beat the natural horse at its own game. But there may be a period while the wings are just beginning to grow when it cannot do so. And at that stage, the lumps on the, soles, on the shoulders, no one could tell by looking at them what, that they're going to be wings it may give it an even awkward appearance. And, and, and so C.S. Lewis is, is, has, has got this, this description of a horse that is given wings, right? And now it can do, like it can jump even better. It, it surpasses anything a horse, we could fathom a horse could do. Um, but, but there's this period where, where it, 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 it's, it's sprouting those wings. And, and that's like, learning this walk of grace like we used to walk in in darkness and in death and and now grace has changed everything and we're still called to do good works but it's operating in a different way 
and it and it's transforming us as we go um and and we're, we're just getting glimpses of what 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 it will be like uh, all of this informs uh how we navigate our way through the time we're in right we're distinct from the world because we're marked by grace and and once we are marked by grace it transforms us and it transforms what we do we do and we're not going to be perfect at this but but we're called to be engaged in the world we live in and and so if if we look at uh, what's going on around us like what we do in the face of the pandemic right now um how we engage in politics um how we respond to injustice in our society will be guided by God's grace shaping who we are and what we do. There, 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 there's a whole lot of things that, that this can look, la- look like. Um, and, and I think we, it was even getting into it uh, in, our, in our gospel reading in Matthew where there's all of these things um, that, that Jesus lists and, and like, and Jesus says, what you do to the, to the least of these people, you do unto me. But, but we're doing this all out of the, the, this, this grace power, this, this infusion. Um, we're we're going to see next week, actually, as we get to the end of Ephesians chapter 2, a little bit more specific ways that, that what Jesus has done for us and how that shapes what we do deals with divisions between people, um, especially between people who are hostile towards each other and need reconciliation. But, but before we go there, um, and I think the challenge for us coming out of this passage is, is, is looking at, are we grounded and secure in the way God's grace anchors us and empowers us as we're stepping into how do we engage in good works in the world that we live in? Um, I'm going to, I'm going to leave it there. There's, there's a whole lot more in our passage, um, but I just want us to, 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 to sit in that challenge of, of how does grace form what we do? How does the security we have in, in being, being united to Christ, not because of what we've done, change the way we, we, we do works, the, the way we, we engage with the world around us? Hello, everyone. My name is Jim Saladin. I'm the rector here at Emmanuel Anglican Church. Our church exists to see and describe and reflect the beauty of Jesus Christ for the flourishing of our city. And I hope this podcast encouraged you in that way towards Christ. If you're here in New York City, we'd love to see you. Please join us on Sundays at 11 a.m. Generosity drives everything we do at Emmanuel. And if you'd like to contribute, please visit www.emmanuelanglicannyc.com give.